why are we only asking about engagement at work? And does engagement even make sense? Because if we're trying to help people, quote, with work-life balance and be their best selves, and we're not factoring in life, number one, and number two, we're eliminating the possibility that we might be engaged, disengaged, and semi-engaged over a period of five years because of things that happen in work and life. Yeah, and it's not reflected in that question at all. Not at all. Dan Pontefract is a renowned leadership strategist, author, and keynote speaker with over two decades of experience in senior executive roles at companies such as SAP, TELUS, and Business Objects. Since then, he has worked with organizations worldwide, including Salesforce, Amgen, the State of Tennessee, Nestle, Canada Post, Autodesk, BMO, the Government of Canada, Manulife, Nutrien, and the City of Toronto, among others. He's an award-winning and best-selling author of four books, Lead Care Win, Open to Think, The Purpose Effect, and Flat Army. His fifth book, Work Life Bloom, will be published in October 2023. Dan also writes for Forbes, Harvard Business Review, and other outlets. My guess is that you've completed a workplace engagement survey before. You're going to hear in this conversation with Dan why those engagement surveys aren't necessarily measuring the right things. In fact, they're missing a big segment of what's really contributing to how people show up at work. Join us in this conversation as we talk about Dan's new book coming out later this year in 2023. His new book is called Work Life Bloom. And in this conversation, he will share data and insights from this book. And I really, really believe if you lead people, if you work in an office-based setting, you're going to get some really interesting nuggets from Dan. Enjoy the show. Hello, Evolve listeners. I'm really excited today. Well, who am I kidding? I'm excited every day to do this podcast, (laughs) but today is an extra special bit of excitement because our guest today is Dan Pontefract. And Dan, welcome. Carolyn, hello. Thank you so much. I've been dying to come on this show oh, to talk wow. a little smack and shop with you. Exactly. Well, and let's just kind of, I'd like everyone to know, Dan holds a very special place in my heart because when I wrote my first book, and I still remember this moment, and I probably tell you every time I see you, Dan, but you called me, well, first of all, you graciously accepted my invitation when the scared newbie approached you at an event and said, hey, Dan, I know somebody you know, would you write the forward to my book and then promptly gave you a hot mess to review. (laughs) And you graciously accepted that offer. But what really stuck with me was when you called me the day the book was launched onto Amazon and you made me feel so seen, so valued and so special. And that like one minute phone call really, really set me on a trajectory to realize the small impact that we truly, truly can make in people. So that's, you know, you got a special place in my heart, Dan. And all all because I pocket dialed. It's just exactly. A- oh, exactly. <laughs> and you made up some really nice stuff on the spot. <laughs> oh, this is Carolyn and it's book, right. It's book on. Yeah. Remind no, I'm me. Kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I mean, so Dan, you are a prolific author, writer, 
you know, you are are not shy in sharing your perspective. And I think it's a really balanced perspective. And today on the show, we're going to talk about your newest book that's coming out in October. It's Work Life Bloom. Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot to unpack with a title sometimes. I, I like playing Jedi mind tricks with book titles. And so maybe we'll get into that. But yes, Work Life Bloom, how to nurture a team that flourishes. A lot of growing metaphors in there. Yeah. Now, right out of the gate, let's talk about this term work-life balance because you pretty much start right out saying, "Eh, eh, that's not it. Can you tell us a little bit more about why that is? Because that term's used all the time, all the time. That's myth number one of three. I'd I'd love to get into you with work-life balance. It's really should have been called work-life imbalance because that's the point. It's a zero-sum game, work-life balance, because you immediately will fail. Yes. Because there's you, there's no such way in which to balance them in so much as if you try, you will feel futile because you're subservient to one and not the other, or you're overcompromising on one and not the other, and so you'll feel guilt. I think of it this way, at least the research that I've been doing. Work is one rope and life is another rope and they're different colors and we need to find a way to knot the two ropes they're unique k-n-o-t yeah nicely done yes (laughs) yes Yes. like tie them together right yeah and because you know for those of us who do have children, I think that's where it particularly showed up for me is all of a sudden I have these little ones to care for. It's like, holy shit, which way, which way do I go when I'm in one place? I'm guilty. And when I'm in another mindset, I feel guilty there as well. Yes. And so if we come to the conclusion, particularly as a leader of self, we all are that. And then if you're lucky enough to be a leader of teams and and others, I argue you have a fiduciary responsibility as a leader of others to be empathic enough to see that work and life are separate, but also to do something about the work and the life. Because as I've said, I don't know now, a thousand times over the last two years of writing this book, our lives and our work are unique, but they do affect one another. And if they affect one another, then what are those factors in work that get transposed over to life? And when I say life, Caroline, I'm not talking about What name do we give the new puppy that we just adopted? Or should we have a garage sale on Sunday? Right. Those are (laughs) it's not what I'm talking about. Or can I balance a checkbook or not? Right. I'm talking about the character, the development of self. And so there are life factors that get woven into work that we should be thinking about as leaders because they easily get transposed into life as well. And so at that end of the day, I think there's this. Yeah, responsibility for the leader to have conversations about work and life and how to potentially tie the knot between the two better. And I can see how this is going to help and also challenge people in their thinking. Because in my experience, and I was part of this sort of mindset for a while is, you know, you leave your your home life at the door and then you need to show up at work and leave that all behind. And I think this is going to help people, but Tell me, can you actually, I don't know, like there's so many things that I want to ask about that. I'm just going to pause there. Has that been your experience as well? This sort of binary leave one behind while the other one shows up? So the answer is yes and uh (laughs) uh-oh. 
the yes is here I am, a 52 year old middle age, I guess, I hope still, uh, <laughs> white male. And what I've what I've seen over the last 25 years of working in organizations, whether as an executive or as an adjunct in the last five years, helping out other organizations, is that there's a lot of whether you're male, female, or otherwise, like checking your yourself at the door, wearing a Teflon suit so that nothing sticks. And it's that adoption of a different persona that's not who you are because it's the work you. And yeah. it's it's terrible to see because which actually is a great segue to to point number two. I'll get to the uh-oh. Myth number two is these organizations, and this really exacerbates your question, your point, repeatedly say, oh, we want you to bring your most authentic and whole self to work. Yeah. Yet, what do we do? We, we, don't, we don't allow that or we don't create the conditions for that to happen. Or we may not reprimand, but we're certainly not emboldening that yeah. concept. And what do we end up with? We end up with people saying, Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Irony, you told me I could be my most authentic self, yet you said that I had to wear a long sleeve shirt because the tattoos that I have on my left arm, which are of my kids and my upbringing and my Irish nationality, you say that I can't show those at work. So how can I be my most authentic, true self, whatever, if you're telling yeah. me wear a long sleeve shirt? That's yeah. just a little example, of course, right? Yeah. But that. Yeah sort of best self, authentic self nonsense exactly points out my point number one that you've raised. The uh uh-oh, by the way, is I am definitely getting the vibes from my direct research and focus groups and so forth that change is a coming. And this is not to get all curmudgeon Dan, the Gen X, looking at Gen Z and Mm -hmm. saying they're crazy. They're not. They're actually what we need. And so even young millennials and Gen Zs in particular are actually demanding in various ways, sometimes in interesting ways, but they're demanding that we be more empathic and honest and true in the conduct of where we have and take place with our work. So that's interesting, I will say. And there was a a piece in your book, maybe we'll come to it later because I I don't want to skip over this next part, but I I noticed that some of the data showed that and I'm with you. It is sort of an uh uh-oh that has a bit of, you know, tension between that good uh uh-oh and like uh uh-oh, uh-oh to it. But, you know, I have kids in that generation and I see it with them every day and I think, good on you. (laughs) It's a mess. (laughs) Well, I got to get out myth number three, by the way, because it all... all it all, it all makes sense once I point out the work-life balance, the best self, most authentic self nonsense. And this third one, which is I'm guilty of as well. So I'm looking back and I'm first to say I've made tons of mistakes as a leader, as a parent, as a spouse. But employee engagement is one that I'd like to have my mulligan on when it comes mm. to organizational culture. So here's, here's my thing. For whether it's Gallup, Aon Hewitt, whoever, Blessing Way, great place to work, we have been asking the wrong question for 20, 25 years. What question is that? Well, the question we're asking is, are you engaged at work? Mm. Now, there are sub questions that, you know, the Q12 for Gallup and the Say, Stay, Strive for Aon Hewitt and others, right? So they'll feed this sort of logic-based summary of, are you engaged or not? 
But that's kind of the question we've been asking. Are you engaged at work? And if you're not engaged, then you're not engaged or you're chronically disengaged or the house is on fire, kind of uh, disengaged, right? So I have to ask you and listeners and viewers, et cetera, anyone with a pulse, why are we only asking about engagement at work? And does engagement even make sense? Because if we're trying to help people, quote, with work-life balance and be their best selves, and we're not factoring in life, number one, and number two, we're eliminating the possibility that we might be engaged, disengaged, and semi-engaged over a period of five years because of things that happen in work and life, acquisition, new boss, new teammates, moved cities, lost a parent, gained weight, have a serious affliction to some sort of uh, internal ailment that I didn't know. Yep. All of this can affect you. Yeah. And it's not so, reflected in that question at all. Not at all. And yeah. so that's why I reverse engineered work-life balance, best self or most authentic self and employee engagement and said, okay, wait a second. What if we re-architected the whole thing and asked, are you blooming? But if you're not blooming, that's okay. You're just in a different persona between kind of the computation of work and life. And so how can we have an honest conversation as a leader with the team member about how you're feeling in work and life? And then what can we do about it maybe to help you? And that leads to being seen and being uh, accepted for where you're at. Because when you were sharing that example, what came up for me is the times that I did not complete the employee engagement survey. (laughs) This is like a confession. There were a few times I didn't complete it. And they were at certain points in my life where I wasn't blooming. I was in a different place. And the guilt that I felt for not completing it, because I'd always been, you know, I think a very good corporate citizen, Mm -hmm. but it made me feel angry and disconnected and just, again, not seen. And so that I love where you've gone with work-life bloom. And maybe maybe we can go to that that quadrant that you created that that shows, mm. you know, those six different elements that are in work-life factors. I, I just think it's so beautiful. Well, thank you. And it just so happened for those that are listening and not watching. There's a think, imagine a two by two matrix. And on the the y-axis is work and on the x-axis is life. And so on the y-axis, up at the top is work is amazing. At the bottom of it, it's awful. It's pretty simple delineation, right? And then on the life x-axis, life is very clear. So i.e. the character, myself, like who I am, or it's confusing, like I'm not knowing who I am. And so the goal is, of course, to bloom as often as we can. That's the top right, where work is amazing and life feels clear. But as I am evidence of, you cannot be blooming 100% of the time. I have been in the three other personas and the three other personas quickly are when work is amazing, but I'm you know less confident, if you will, I'm kind of confused and who I am as a human being, as a, as a, with my life factors, then I'm budding. That's the persona name. So I'm budding. It means I'm close because work is going really well, but I question some of my own, you know, self-character habits and attributes on the bottom right of the two by two is what I called stunted. So just like a plant, it needs some help, right? To get past the, almost like a dormant phase. And they need to, if you want to get to blooming, that's where your leader should come in and say, well, what's going wrong here at work? 
and the X factors there from a work factor perspective. But life is going pretty good. So the life factors are well. So you're stunted. But then renewal, which is really the best of the not very good. But I've been in renewal several times. And that's when work feels awful. I'm kind of confused with my life factors. And so I just need a reset that may not mean I need a new job or a new company or a new spouse or a new home. That's not what I'm getting at. It's that there's a definite need for reflection to sort out why a couple or maybe most of those factors aren't working for me. And what can I do maybe to get back up to either budding or stunted or hopefully blooming? And so the idea is, is that you pause and reflect and see where you are. And then when you realize where you are, you can put some steps in place to ideally get you back into blooming. Yeah. So let's imagine you're a mid-level manager, right? You got a team of six, you know, you're in financial services and your team of six does things for internal clients. Let's just call it that. And so you got six people and they may all have a, well, that wouldn't be quite right, but they all have like a, a different persona. So a couple of them are blooming, a couple of them are budding, one is renewal, one is stunted. What does that mean? Well, it means that their interpretation at that particular stage, whether they're Gen Z, Millennial, X, or Boomer, whether they are five years, 10-year, or 20, whether they have just moved to Toronto or LA, let's say, and or they've lived there for 15 years. like There are so many different factors in the work and the life that's going to say, Carolyn, am I blooming, budding, budding sorry, stunted, or in renewal? that the leader needs to have that conversation about, well, what's in the way or what's going well? And both are important questions. Yep. Yeah. And the simplicity of this too. I mean, leaders are, as we know, carrying a lot of a lot of different pressures on them. I found this really um, easy to put myself in and simple to understand. I'm curious if your data showed any sort of, I guess, were there certain generations that were sitting in certain boxes where it was like, I think of my younger self as budding where life, I didn't really quite know who I was. I thought I was maybe something in my mid twenties, late twenties, but feeling like great with, with work. Did your data show any patterns like that? Uh, it did. And, you know, there's not a huge gap between Gen Z and Boomer, for example, in terms of how many people or percentage of people that are in each of the four personas, which I think is good. Now, I do have some data points I could show you because there are some other alarming data points. So here's, I'll show you just, here's the global all team members. So 10,000 people globally, for those that are listening in, 11 countries. Half of them were leaders, half of them were non-leaders. And so what I discovered at that moment in time, so a three-month survey conducted in the fall of 2022 with all those aforementioned data characters, 41% of the people are blooming, 38% are in renewal and kind of nine and 12 each and budding and stunted. So you're like, okay, a moment in time, four to 10 people are blooming, pretty good, but also four to 10 are kind of in renewal. So not great, I guess. Like I'd certainly love to see more people blooming, but... I'm actually not surprised in the slightest that on a global scale, you know, four to 10 people are blooming because again, like if you think about it, just like engagement on a, on an international scale, two out of 10 people are quote engaged, but why are we asking the question? Well, what's going on for, in this case, for me, at least the model I've come up with budding stunted or renewal, what's going on for them at that moment. So can we have these conversations as opposed to, are you engaged or not engaged? 
Yeah. How about conversations, right? About, well, well, how can I help you? So now a couple other data cuts, because when you talk about generations, I'm like, yeah, they're pretty close. I should have a graph for you, but I don't. And I'll make that amendment next time around. I do a <laughs> live show with someone, but here's, here's a male and female cut. Now we didn't have enough sample size, by the way, for gender neutral. So just yep. those that asked, so we only had about 40 people characterize themselves as non-male or female. So that's mm -hmm. why you only see male or female here, but look at this. Okay. 50% of males globally are quote blooming 32% of females. And subsequently the number of people in renewal are less for males, 31% and 46% for females. So to me, all of a sudden now I'm like, Oh, <laughs> right. There's a lot of fundamental attribution error happening with males yep. whom are like, of course I'm blooming. Everyone else will be blooming. Like, right. It's like half of the men are quote blooming but only a third or less than a third of females are quote blooming. So there's something to be said about that, Carolyn, right? About there is right. What we're doing in organizations that actually are harming more females than males when it comes to whether or not we're creating the right work-life factors. I'm just going to last one. And then we can chat about all this is leaders versus non-leaders. And this is frightening. So 48% of leaders. So leading a team, by the way, not leading self, leading a team of whatever number, 48% are blooming and only 26% of non-leaders, i.e. individual contributors are quote blooming. And look at the renewal ones, right? 33 mm -hmm. to 40 or 51%. So that's my global research. And I'm like, again, alarmed, but not surprised. And I think it goes back to, well, what are we asking the questions, right? The budding renewal stunted blooming two by two matrix then allows for leaders to have a conversation about those work and life factors. Right. And, and that's what we should really be doing. Now, I'd like to get to those factors because that does help leaders. It gives them a little bit of guidance of where to talk about. What were you surprised with in your research? Because, you know, you mentioned there, I was surprised, but not surprised. But did your research show anything that you're like, holy crow, I had no idea. Well, certainly the the ones I showed there, right? The the leaders versus non-leaders gaps, as well as the male versus female gap. There were a couple other gaps that I thought were just like like horrific. One of them was certain countries. So, you know, like the Netherlands versus India, there's like a gigantic gap between really? people blooming in India versus people blooming in the Netherlands. I mean, the Netherlands were the, the Netherlands, sorry, in South Korea were the lowest. Whereas India was the highest and the gap was like a 20 point spread. Oh, I was like, wow. oh, that was, that was kind of really interesting. And then when you kind of look at some of the data points as well on some of the certain factors, right, there was certain generational gaps as well, where as an example, you know, well-being. So well-being is a, is a stark difference between a baby boomer versus a Gen Z and Gen Zs are, have a higher sense of well-being than a boomer, which you can appreciate because, you know, Gen Zs are younger and they're probably more full of vitality and a yeah. sense of rigor for anything in life. Whereas boomers are, you know, at the other side of uh, the shadow and, yeah. you know, having to think through a lot more wellness and well-being things, which again, if you're a leader in an organization, I suggest to you that you do need to kind of understand a little bit about the makeup of your team because yeah. certain conversations are going to be different if you have those generational gaps on your on your crew. Now, can we talk a little bit about those factors? Yeah. Um, underneath work and life. How did you so, come up with them? 
<laughs> well, I t- oh, okay. So I didn't just wet finger the sky and hope yeah, these ones were that. awesome, right? That'd be terrible. <laughs> so leading up into the global research that I did, I, I went back and I'm very fortunate to have conducted 15 culture assessments for 15 like humongous companies. So my job as a consultant is at times is to go into organizations and whether it's financial services or academia or public sector or high tech, whatever it is, I go in and I I open up the, the kimono, so to say, when I'm hired to say, okay, what, what's going on with frontline, mid-management and senior leaders? And I'll do one-on-one interviews, focus groups and company or organization-wide assessment surveys. And I've done 15 of these. So between the years 2015 and 2021, I was like, geez, Carolyn, I'm an idiot. Like, why haven't I been looking at this data in summary and looking for the trends? Right. And so I spent months combing through all of this data from 15 companies in North America. So bias alert, right? It wasn't Europe or Asia, but at least I'm on the right track, I think, with the number of entries I had and the number of people I've assessed and talked to. And so, like, trends developed. <laughs> like, trends developed from the perspective of what makes me tick. Yep. And a lot of these points, when these focus groups, et cetera, were like, I just wish I could be human. I just wish I could bring my best self here. I wish I was heard. I wish that I had more relationships. I wish that people cared about my skills. I wish that the company uh, did work-life balance, but they're not. And it's just like, I was in a, a tsunami of feedback and cries for help. Yep. That's what I've seen in in the assessments that I've I've done as well and looked at. So that led you to the six, the first one being trust, I presume. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly it. So they, I didn't mean these to be necessarily in some sort of hierarchical order, but it felt mm-hmm. good to start with trust nonetheless on the work factors. Yeah. So trust was, you know, table stakes for many and necessary for their them to feel like they had a chance to shine or to bloom or to flourish, what have you. But then... You know, the others, again, they're not they're not weighted, but belonging. So those kind of accumulation of these positive experiences that help people feeling understood, that they help mm-hmm. they're, they're they're safe, they're represented. So belonging was a huge part. But then, you know, the twin sister, if you will, of belonging was value. Do I feel appreciated? Do I get recognized? Do I does my boss, my team, my boss's boss understand? my impact, my effort. And this is sort of like, almost like Maslow's hierarchy a little bit. It's self-actualization when you feel valued, right? You strut your stuff. You're kind of a peacock with the feathers flowing. It's like fantastic, right? And then purpose, strategy, and norms are really organizational domains, right? Purpose is, does does the company or the organization state its intentions, uphold its beliefs, and basically act to help society and the community and so forth? So do, am I, do I believe in my company? Do I believe in my organization? Or is it a lot of greenwashing or purpose washing? Right. And then strategy norms. So strategy is effectively like the direction and understanding the priorities so that I'm not lost sheep, right? Are there guardrails? Do I get reminded to do, do we know how my 
delivery of my job, my objectives, my actions actually impact the overall strategy? Is my boss connecting the dots so that I'm not a lost sheep? And then does my boss and my team create frictionless norms so that I can get my stuff done? So like, what are the cultural norms? So the business processes, we interact, collaborate, you know, and so on. So those, those six are so critical. And to be clear on the model here, Carolyn, five or six of the work factors and five or six of any of the life factors have to be in a net positive for you to be blooming. That's what we found. Meaning, wow. yeah, but it's any combination. It doesn't mean Wait. you have to have all of them. It's just five or six in each of them. That And that's important because that's 83% of all the work and the life factors. And that's kind of like, well, when you're in those engagement scoring lands, anything above 80 is considered engaged. So we're like, when I was working with some of the research scientists, we're like, yeah, that that makes sense. Makes Five sense. or six of these. Yeah. Now you commented in the book too, that we're in a trust recession, which <laughs> is kind of like the foundation, right? Of what we need in, in work. How did that, like, how did, how did that impact the life factors? Do you think, which I don't know, we haven't talked about the life factors yet. Well, you know, what I say in the book is I pay homage a little bit to Winston Churchill. There's a line in there I use, our lives shape our work. Nevertheless, our work shapes us. Yeah. And if you don't feel trust in your interactions that you and you and your boss and your team are able to be authentic, consistent, trustworthy, advocacy for one another, how do you feel when you quote, you go home or you talk to your neighbor about, you know, your team or your boss? That's the weight that we bring back into our, our life is that if you feel that you're not uh, being treated as an advocate or, or someone's not advocating for you, like you sort of start losing out on some of your own humanity when you're off work or after work or in yeah. community. And it's a huge deal. Like it's a huge deal. You don't have to like your job. But you certainly certainly should feel trust trusted in doing it. Right, right. So because you're impacting everybody around you, and people like you know our nervous systems talk to each other. We can feel, we can feel that, we can connect to that. So I, I absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah, and and again, like I say, there's a trust recession. I didn't say it was eliminated, but just like any recession, there's hope. Yep. And and what's come to me in the evidence, right, the data and sort of the surveying and the focus groups and so on, right, is that leaders have glossed over on this idea called trust. There's like an assumed trust. Oh, yeah, of course, the employee, the team member will trust me because I'm trustworthy. I'm the boss. But actually, there's an investment needed to get out of a recession. So that's kind of the point. It's like, what are we doing as a leader to invest in this trust work factor so we get out of the recession? Oh, so many places we could go with this. I want to come back to the belonging area that you talked about. And I know in your book, this is where some of the data for Gen Z, I like to say Z because we're Canadian. Exactly. Where Gen Z sees things a bit differently. Can you can you expand on that? And again, why is belonging important for those who think that it might be a little bit too fluffy? So again, the three key points that I'm I'm making within the belonging factor is people need to feel understood, represented, and safe. And when you're Gen Z, and I'm not clearly by the hairline <laughs> and the wrinkles, but I do have three Gen Z kids. 
And I've spoken to a hell of a lot of not just their friends, but others in these focus groups, et cetera, trying to get a better understanding. Effectively, they they have a cohort mentality to begin with. And you need not look any further than somewhat obviously TikTok. And if you look at a hashtag called fun employment, for example, which is 97.4% primarily ordained by Gen Z, the fun employment is Gen Z like looking out for one another. Wow. Creating that feeling of being understood, represented, and safe to say things about their unemployment, but to call it fun employment, and to work with one another on opportunities that might like get them a new job or a new company or whatever the case may be. That's just a little microcosmic example. Yeah. So the DNA that you know us Gen Xers have created in the kids is good, but we need to recognize what we've created. And because they're storming the organization with this new mentality, this new behavioral mindset that they're a hive, they're a cohort. And they themselves feel to each other understood, represented, and safe because they can be themselves. But they're coming up against millennials, Xers, and boomers whom have been preordained to have this, let's just say, maybe non-belonging attitude. Yeah. Or just like pay your dues, put your head down, yeah, figure it out, push through. Yeah. It's like career ladder versus career mosaic. So we have been conditioned. When I say we, I mean, Xers like you and I have been conditioned, right? Or millennials like you to, to. I'm an Xer. You're on the cusp. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming you're probably right on the cusp. So we've been conditioned to grow the career ladder, so to say, right? Or I mean, climb the career ladder. Yet, what we need to be thinking about is this mosaic. And it pops up actually in the, in the life factor called skills, where I say, what are we doing to create a skills ecosystem, like yes. an operating system inside the organization, so that the life's factor of skills is actually helping the individual see that they're more than just their job. And that we're building out their life, if you will, by helping develop different skills, different opportunities, gigs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That actually helps a sense of belonging because now you're investing in understanding who they are to help them feel understood, represented, and safe. That it's not just a ladder they should be climbing, but building a mosaic. Yeah, I really identified with that one too when I read it. And as somebody who exited out of the workforce for two mat leaves, and they were shorter mat leaves, they were both only four months. It's still, yeah, there's a lot going on at that time. <laughs> it still felt though that I was going to be judged differently. And you do, you sort of have to like, you can't ask the game to, if I just kind of look at it on the playground or in a game, you can't put a, a pause on the game for everybody while you step step away for, for a timeout. I really struggled with that. I really, really struggled with that. And in essence, I had to put, you know, almost like 10 years, a whole decade on, on a bit of a, a slower pace, shall we say, just given what was going on in my in my home life. I won't say right. it was a full-on pause, but I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel understood. And then it was just like, oh, I just can't keep up with everyone. So the mosaic mindset is, I think, just so much. It, again, it just creates a space to one, feel safe, that you belong, and that there isn't a competition and that you're not going to be held back because of it. 
or even or even reprimanded. I mean, I, I've yeah. come across situations, Carolyn, I'm sure you have as well in your work, where the boss questions the team member who doesn't want to climb the ladder, and they're just looking for what I call horizontal ignition or horizontal experiences to further their sense of valued, further their sense of skill. That's actually helping their well-being because they're not interested in up, they're interested in across. Yeah. So we need to embrace that, not reprimand it. Not everyone wants to go up. Yeah. And well, and sometimes when you go up, it comes with a lot of unexpected things. We won't even yes. call it rewards. Yeah. <laughs> I was also, you know, you talked a little bit about being valued and I've seen that come up a lot, especially over the past year. I'm not feeling valued and, and, you know, I know on the other side that yes, there are things happening to try and address that, but they're not necessarily resonating with, with folks. What did you, like, what do you think prevents leaders from valuing employees? (laughs) How much time do we have? So... (laughs) When you're valued, you're thinking about a lot of people said this in the in the global research I did, like certainly compensation, like total compensation, total rewards, if you will. Like, yeah. am I am I paid fairly, but am I recognized from a benefit perspective of what it is that I contribute to this organization? So that's non-monetary things. So that could be things like, am I valued for my time, which is a big one. So again, when we espouse work-life balance, but you know we're 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 forcing people into the office five days a week when surely they could come to some sort of integrated balance between three or two days in the office. Like those little things get you to feel unvalued. Is that a word? It is when now. when you're not when you're not appreciating the time that people have because there's only 160 yeah. hours a week. Yeah. So that's like that's that's one. But then you kind of get into as I say like recognition and and efforts about feedback or you know it's making the time if you will to have good conversations that are open ended that are having discussions with you know the individual about performance but life as well like when you're feeling valued i call it a gratitude attitude yeah yeah right it's a cheeky way to just say like how do you appreciate and recognize people and are you doing it in a consistent and constant way so, you know, it's so easy too. at the end of the day, yes, you could buy someone a coffee or have lunch with them, but it's free. Like really at the end of the day, it's free to recognize and acknowledge people for both their efforts and constructive feedback and the performance and helping them, you know, develop a skill to tie in, you know, one of the life factors when we're talking about being valued or feeling valued. Now you mentioned compensation there, and I know pay can always be a bit of a a touchy subject, but you wrote about this concept and I'm with you hundred percent, this notion of posting pay bands and being more transparent about what those bands are. And, and so for those, those of you listening who maybe haven't had the pleasure of working in that space, but knowing that, but you know, have, uh, there are, there are jobs that are organized in certain categories and it's, it's meant to be a system that brings a little bit more equity and transparency to how people get remunerated. How do organizations do this well by posting those pay bands and being transparent? <laughs> so it's it's probably a 
a dream of mine, but the the large enterprise, you know, companies, I think still will continue to struggle with this because they've been stuck on effectively like collusion. Yeah. Right. And so th- they want to be they're they're they get they can get into hot water because they <laughs> They should be posting them, right? Let me just call it out. Like post the pay bands, just at least the pay bands, like so that people yep. can see where they they the range that they they land in. It's always it not always, it often is this secret society. It's like the Illuminati yeah. of what the compensation pay bands are. So first of all, I, I agree, like that will help you as an individual say, oh. So the range is 70 to 90. Okay. And I fit in here and then having conversations about, well, why do I fit here? And what's the deal? But oftentimes these organizations don't yet. The irony of course, is like in public sector, they are yep. like they're mandated to post a pay band. And so it's just like, well, why do we need secret society and much of the corporate world, particularly large enterprise yet public sector will post the pay ban, let alone what they often call the sunshine club is saying who makes over a hundred grand in the public sector. I'm all for that transparency because it's coming anyway. Yep. And it's like an expectation. When I say coming, it's like expectation of Gen Z yep. back to the point. Yep. He's like, what, why are we doing this? <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> of course yeah. we should be posting these things. Yeah. You can see the real shift back to this collective mindset and sort of a community-based mindset. Now, I wanted to dwell a little bit more on the work factors because, well, just because I was curious, but I know there's the six other life factors that influence that X-axis. Do you want to just take a bit of time now, Dan, and share what those are? Sure. Go back to handy diagram here. So those listening in, the, the six are one sense of meaning, and I'll come back to meaning versus purpose in just a second. So sense of meaning... One's relationships, connections, network, one's sense of well-being or wellness. Number four is skills, your development of self, particularly. And five and six are agency. So that sort of empowerment of decision-making and the autonomy and self-determination. And then number six is respect. So the appreciation of who you are for what you bring to the table. Why do I call them life factors, first of all? Because arguably you could say, well, Dan, these are just additional work factors, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can make that argument. I wouldn't disagree. But where I found it very advantageous to say is that these six life factors are malleable between work and life. And so if we're working on these, pun intended, I suppose, developing these life factors as a boss, as a team for the team member... These are the critical ones that are going to be deployed in life, but they're also going to be deployed at work. So I'm not saying they're more important than the work factors, but the work factors really have a lot to do with work. Am I trusted at work? Do I feel like I belong at work? Do I feel valued at work? Do I understand the purpose of work? Is the strategy of work connected to me? And are there norms that allow me to have frictionless uh, operating uh, procedures? So those are slightly transferable to life. Like I bring them home because I think about it, but I'm not applying them in life. The six life factors, meaning relationships, well-being, skills, agency, and respect, they're all applied in life and I bring them into work. So that's why they're pretty key. And that's why it's a two by two matrix with X, the X, X axes, I'm so sorry, 
as the six life factors. So, you know, this is that back to that point about the fiduciary responsibility. If you're not having a conversation, as an example, with your team member about their relationships, not marriage or what they're doing in terms of spousal or non-spousal or that, I'm talking about like people you connect with to build up that network, i.e. my network is my net worth. If you're not having a conversation or at least helping Carolyn, the team member, Dan, the boss in this case, to say, hey, Carolyn, just want to have like, I know some people here. I know they're based in Burlington and Oakville and in between those two cities. Hey, I think you'd be really good match. Can I introduce you to Sally or Adam or whoever? Right. Carolyn would be like, I'm sure you're like, oh, cool. Thanks. That's amazing. But even inside the organization, this is where it gets a little bit slightly convoluted, but I'm like, that's the relationship life factor is you helping the team member to develop the skill of relationship building and to advocate for those relationships. So it could be inside the organization. That's totally cool because maybe the skills that you're developing get transferred over to the life factor post-work or maybe that relationship that's been developed at work because of that introduction turns into a life relationship. How cool is that? Yep. Right? So again, I can argue for those that want to counter argue that these are just six additional work factors, but I'm actually saying these are six life factors to begin with, but they get transposed into the work because we pay attention to it as a leader. And that's a good thing. Well, and what came up for me is it's really what grounds the knot, the K-N-O-T. Ah, nicely done. Yeah. And and I think, you know, I'm thinking of the times when I was a leader in, in an organization and how my ability to, to amazing on those work factors was very much impacted by what was happening in my life factors. And, you know, to back to that fiduciary responsibility or that responsibility, I guess it's a humanity is how you show up when you're a leader, you, you really like, you don't leave a people, you don't leave people's presence in a neutral state. Like everything that you do will impact others around you. And so that's what really stood out for me when you were, when you were talking about those factors. Yeah. And I thank you, first of all, Carolyn. I mean, that's amazing feedback. And I couldn't agree. Honestly, I couldn't agree more. I mean, what we're, what we're kind of getting at here with the work factors or sort of the life factors, we're saying, okay, look, if you are a boss and, or like thinking about the organizational dynamics of, you know, the the entire company or unit or whatever the case may be, those six life factors are actually table stakes for what we weren't doing with work-life balance or employee engagement. Yes. And, And that's kind of like, the aha moment for me, my own myopia inside of organizations I've worked for working on employee engagement was like so fixated on what the work factors were. And again, you need them, but these self-development, like character self factors, the life factors are so equally important that I was missing a huge piece to the conversation for years and i'm trying to maybe undo an error that mm. that I, that i've made over years or to pay it forward <laughs> maybe i'll yeah. dan it forward that's what dan i'm doing. It forward. Dan it well forward. and it's you know it is really difficult obviously being a leader now is quite different even than 5 years ago or 3 years ago and so i think again this knot this not of bringing <laughs> it together and this real yeah. 
I get to attribute you every time now. Like the can OT, Carolyn Suarez. Can OT, Carolyn Suarez. I'm going to put like a little diagram underneath it now. I love it. Because you do, like you hear this word, like work-life balance, and I've I've really struggled with it. And and so now I I proudly attribute work-life bloom because we and we can't bloom all the time. I think nope. that's the other thing, right? And there's a garden analogy through through your whole book, but there are seasons where you need to go underground, so to speak, and you need a bit of time for things to get nurtured and and strengthen. And so I'm guessing that was purposeful as well, why you chose the word bloom. You know what? I was about two and a half years ago-ish. It was February of 2021. And I'm sort of in the midst of architecting this book. And it wasn't quite work-life bloom at the time. Certainly it wasn't. But I was on a bike ride and there was like these flowers peeking out February in Victoria because it's Victoria. And I'm thinking to myself, those daffodils, gosh, they're gorgeous. They're blooming. And I was like, oh my God. There it is. Why are they blooming, right? There's soil, there's nutrients, they got water, there's sunlight, it's seasonality. Somebody, whatever it is, someone's helping these things grow and bloom, but they don't stick around in October. They don't stick around for like, they stick around maybe six, eight weeks and then they're gone. And I'm like, God, you know, I've had jobs like that. I'm still on my bike ride. And I'm like, yeah, I've, and I just sort of like, it fell on me well, what made me bloom? And then that's when I started looking back at all that research and saying, well, there's got to be factors. Anyway, that's the the legend of the story. The legend. And well, and it just gives us permission to not have to be 100% all the time. It's okay. Sometimes 20% is okay, to be honest. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And again, that's why I'm here. I'm like, how do I help leaders see that A, they don't have to be blooming all the time and B, yeah. their team members will not be blooming all the time. So how can we just represent that first and foremost? And then secondly, maybe have conversations openly about what that means. Yeah, in a real way and not not have it be a punitive thing. Exactly. Yeah. So Dan, the book comes out. Can you remind us when the book comes out? Because this podcast is coming out before the book. So Perhaps How lovely is that invitation to people to go make a, a pre-order? Wow, that's so kind of you. The book is out in Canada, 24 October and globally on the 7th of November. All right. And they can get pre-orders. Where can they get pre-order? If you just head on over to worklifebloom.com, you will find all kinds of fun and free stuff, including if you pre-order, you get all kinds of stuff, but also there's a free, you can take the work-life bloom assessment for free, which is also available at that site, worklifebloom.com. There's no dashes or underscores or anything. Straight on work-life bloom. Nice and simple. Nice and simple. I try. And people can find you if they want to bring you in to maybe do a keynote, to (laughs) do any consulting. Where can they find you? Kind of the same spot. It all goes all to uh, Dan P headquarters. But yeah, worklifebloom.com. There's some about me contact information, lots of sizzle reels and all my talks are up there if you're interested in any of the, thank you so kind, Carolyn, any of the other things that I do. All right. Well, because there are, there are a host of other books as well that grace my bookshelf and uh, yeah, four other books, I believe, right? This is book number five. Yeah, it's definitely a masochism, but I do love what I'm doing. And there's always an itch to scratch, Carolyn. I hear you. I hear you. I didn't know I would come out with book number two and I did. So I've already got ideas about book number three. Well, I can't wait to be that early reader or alpha tester on book three. (laughs) Can't wait. 
<laughs> all right. Well, Dan, for all of my podcasts, I asked three questions to wrap things up. Are you game? Game. All right. Well, I don't, if you said no, I don't, I wouldn't know if, know what to say anyway. So good sure. thing you answered that. So my first question, and these questions, by the way, are all based around my Evolve Leader model. Um, and the first one's around self-awareness. So I'm interested in hearing something that you're comfortable sharing a moment, an experience that gave you an incredible amount of self-awareness and insight. And it might not have been the most gentlest of experience and maybe it was a little bit hard, but it, it gave you a lot of insight about yourself. Yeah. An adult student named Kaylin in 1999 called me out on my ridiculous attempt at humor and I embarrassed him and it was unintentional, but I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. And he called me out on it about an hour later in my office. And I broke down and said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Also, um, I'll never do that again. And mm -hmm. so it was a humiliating moment, but also a teaching moment. Yeah. Sometimes those harder moments are the ones that not even sometimes often they teach us a lot. Uh, okay. Second question. What is a practice or ritual that you personally use to keep you in a calmer uh, state or to get you back to a calm state after maybe your nervous system has been amped up a little bit? Also, since 1999, I have not taken a meeting on Friday afternoons and refused to have meetings on Friday afternoons. So I'm 24 years in, wow. uh, zero meetings. And that's my meditative and or get stuff finished and or think and or address some uh, self-care with long bike rides half day. And I think we should point out you've been working in large organizations. So you are making that boundary really work. It's not like, oh, Dan's got his own business. He can make up his own no, rules type thing. Since 1999. Exactly. That's amazing. That's amazing. What, what prompted you to do that in 1999? That was a while ago. The world was pretty different. I'm a different cat. Like I honestly, when I go to Ikea, I go in the exit door to the as is first. <laughs> okay. I don't go through the showroom. So <laughs> I've always tried to look at things differently. And that was one of them. Like, well, why have meetings on Friday afternoons? That's dumb. Let's yeah. meet. Time. So yeah. maybe that's, that's the great. best answer. Last question. What is a song or genre of music that makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself? It'd be cliche for me to say a tragically hip song. <laughs> That's what I was uh, thinking. Yeah. However, I'm going to say a tragically hip song. And the song is called Great Soul. It's a poem by Gord Downey, the late great lead singer of the hip. It's on their last album that they did called Man Machine Poem. Sort of a B-side unheralded track. And what Gord's getting at in the poem effectively is... How do you as an individual rise in the face of adversity, reminding yourself of your own great soul? Wow. He was a brilliant, brilliant artist. No question. So I'm going to have to look at that. I couldn't, I have, couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dan, it is always, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I really, really encourage all the listeners to highly consider purchasing your new book. I think, I think it's, I think it's your best one yet. Best out of Aww. my, yeah, from my perspective. <laughs> well, but see that the other ones aren't good. I think you've wrapped things up really nicely and and really positioned a really difficult topic into something that's tangible and relevant in this day and age. Carolyn, coming from you, that means such a lot. Thank you. You're a good friend, but you're a seriously awesome professional in this yeah. space that we're both in. So. 
Thank you for that. Thank you for this invite. And yeah, having a good natter about the lack of work-life balance, employee engagement and best selves at work. I loved it. Thank you. And learning new words. There's always new words that Dan brings into conversations. So (laughs) thanks for listening, everybody. And if you like this episode, please subscribe and like it on the platform that you're listening to. Thanks again, everybody. So where do you think you sit in this work-life bloom paradigm that Dan created? Are you budding? Blooming? Are you in renewal? Or are you stunted? You know, as I look at this quadrant right now, I'm looking at it on my screen. I can see myself in each of these quadrants at different stages of my life, but also different days of the week even. And as we navigate through so much change in our work lives, in our home lives. I hope that you can find some perspective in this model that Dan shares in his upcoming book. It's really helping me normalize that it's okay not to give 110% every day, all day. Sometimes, in fact, most times, it's okay not to be running on overdrive.